All right, so we are going to continue our series then on heads of lettuce. If you guys brought your scriptures today, I would really encourage you to take them out, turn them, or or type in if you have a phone, an iPad, or something digital that you can pull up a Bible app on. Hebrews ten. Hebrews ten is where we are today. Verse twenty four. Hey, before we get too far into this, though, I do want to tell you in two weeks, we are uh, reinventing Glow Stick Sunday. For those of you who were around last week, we had a Glow Stick Sunday. It's all about mission and who we are as a church and what we're hoping to accomplish. And so we're going to provide you all with a ton of glow sticks, and it's going to be a fun morning. Uh, talking about the nature of a glow stick and, and why it represents who we are about. So it's going to be cool. On the 24th, join us for Glow Stick Sunday. And then after that, we're going to start a new series uh, working our way through the letters of John. And so... That'll take us through the summer, actually, which is kind of cool. But today, we are talking about heads of lettuce. Really, uh, starting at verse 23 all the way through the end of this section that we are talking about, it begins this little mini-series. And so the next three weeks, we're going to piggyback on what we learned the previous week. So today really begins a foundation that we are going to address again next week. And then in the third week, we're going to address that foundation again. It says... In verse 24, to let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's a message in itself, right? Can I just stop talking now? Yeah? Oh, I heard a couple of yes. Oh, man. I'm not. I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you. But let's pray before we do that. Father in heaven, thank you for this body of people. Thank you for this gorgeous day, Father. Thank you for the ability to read your word, to open it up, Father, to, to have your spirit to help us understand it and to enlighten us, Father. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds, Father, to receive your word this morning. And I pray that you would do so and that we would be willing to allow you to do so, Father, as we walk together through this one very short verse in Hebrews. We, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen? Amen. You know, when I first became a Christian, after a, after a youth service one Sunday night, a youth leader came up to me and, and he said, Ross, now that you're a Christian... I, I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to challenge you to start doing all of these things that, that good Christians do. And so he, he gave me this verbal list of all these things that I should start doing now that I was a Christian. And, and I'm very grateful to this person because this person really spurred me along in my faith. I think they were trying to be helpful and encourage me in my very young faith. But the suggestions that he gave me, uh, I think, were lacking. As I, as I ponder these suggestions throughout the years, I think that the suggestions that this person offered me were lacking I realized that they had forgot the most important component of the Christian faith. That they told me all these things I should start doing, but they really forgot the essence of what Christianity is all about. And when I think about my young Christian years, what I remember about myself is that I became a very pharisaical Christian. I looked at the part on the outside. I did everything that a Christian was supposed to be doing. I was the, the, the poster child for, in a lot of ways, for what a, a high schooler who called himself a Christian ought to have looked like. I did everything a Christian was supposed to do, but my heart was judgmental and my heart was proud and my heart was eager to be known for how good I was and for everyone around me to praise me for how great of a Christian I was. That was really the longing of my heart, that the whole world would see me and glorify me and praise me because I was such a great model Christian. You see, I had adopted a Christianity that was void of one essential element. And that one essential element is love. 
And after many years of struggling through the meaning of what it means to be a Christian, I realized that though I had adopted Christianity, I had not adopted Jesus Christ. And that was a real problem. I adopted Christianity, but I had not adopted Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is a real problem. Because as much as I value reading the Word of God, which is one of the things this, this person suggested, and, and I love reading the Word of God. I fell in love with the Word of God, and, and I would suggest that if you want to grow to be more like Jesus, then read his words. Read his teachings. Get in the Word for yourselves. Start reading through the Gospels. Begin with Matthew. Work your way through the Gospels. Get to know who Jesus was, and you will become more like him. I guarantee it. So I value the Word of God. Uh, to, to let it sharpen us and to read it regularly, it's such an incredible, important thing. And as much as I value church attendance, right, and, and the wonder of being together with God's people, and I'm going to argue this next week as we talk about what it means to meet together regularly, to not give up that habit, church attendance is incredibly important. What you're doing here, listening to the word of God, singing together with other believers, it's incredibly important. So as much as I valued that, and as much as I appreciated the suggestion that I should start evangelizing and proselytizing all my friends. This person was forgetting the most essential component of what it means to be a Christ follower. The loving of God and the loving of others and the loving of myself wasn't even a part of the Christian conversation. Does that sound like a problem to anybody? That I was told to read my Bible and go to church and evangelize my friends, but I was not encouraged to love. And so I became this pharisaical Christianity who, every time I talked to someone, I would, I would be kind and sweet to them. But as they turned their back, I would say, you are not living the life that you should be living. I would point my finger and I would judge them. And yet when the author of Hebrews gets to the point in his letter when he argues what we should be doing now that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, he died and risen from the dead, when the author of Hebrews gets to the point of the letter when he says, this now is what you should be doing, what does he say? Spur one another on towards what? Love and good deeds. He doesn't say that we should spur one another on towards circumcision like the, all the Jews of his day were suggesting. He wasn't saying that we should spur one another on towards religion or sacrifice, or that, that religion of repetitive sacrifice was done away when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. He doesn't say that we should spur one another on towards reading the Bible as great as it is, right? The, the author's audience probably wasn't even literate. Not to mention that they were poor and they couldn't even afford the very expensive scriptures that were available only to the synagogues. They couldn't read the scripture because it wasn't available to them. They couldn't read the scriptures because they, they couldn't read. He didn't say that, I'm going to spur you on towards putting a Jesus fish on your car, as great as that is, or a Restoration Church sticker. I might be spurring you on to do that, but I don't think the author of Hebrews was. He says, because everything Jesus has accomplished, let us spur one another on toward Love. We say that together, let us spur one another on toward love. And might this love be made known through our deeds. Or in other words, love just can't be this concept that we talk about. We can't just do Bible studies and write blogs about it. Love isn't just a nice concept or a theory that can remain stuck in our minds. It needs to flow through our hands and through our feet and through our mouths and the way we speak 
the way we treat others, the way we serve, and the way we sacrifice. Love must have hands. It must have feet if it is to be real. It cannot just remain in the mouth or in the mind. Right? Talking about dying to ourselves is a very different thing than actually dying to ourselves. Love must be made known through the way we live our lives. So of all of the things that the author could have said, why did he say that we ought to encourage one another to love? What, what is it about love that the author was so intent on saying, this is what we have to spur one another on towards, that we have to encourage one another on towards? And I hope at the end of this message that you have a very firm understanding of why love is the, the, the point of all of Christianity. And why Jesus said that loving God and loving others was the point of the law. And why he said his commandments and the calling upon our lives, the calling upon our lives as followers of him and believers in him was to imitate his love and why he said the world would know that we are followers of Jesus by our love and not by anything else we do, but by our love. And it all begins with God. As all things that are pure and right and just and true do, it begins with God. And the reason love begins with God is because God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us God is love. It is the most fundamental description of who God is. God is love. But we also know that God is Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is Trinity. God is this beautiful dance of motion that is constantly expanding and gathering all it touches into its beautiful dance of life. That's how C.S. Lewis went on to describe the Trinity. A beautiful dance of love that cannot be contained but overflows and longs to spill over into his creation. And this triune God of love spoke creation into being with the intent that his creatures would share in his life-giving love. He creates so that we would share in his life-giving love. And this beautiful arrangement was established. The God of overflowing love longed to pour his love into creation. So what does he do? He creates beings who long to have God's love poured into them. That's a beautiful arrangement, don't you think? He created humanity, in other words, in his image. Trinitarian, we are Trinitarian beings with the full capacity and longing to be full of life and to have this love spill over from us as well. We were created, in other words, to run on the love of God. That is the fuel by which God designed the human person to function on and to run on, to be sustained by. We were designed to run on the fuel of God's love. You know, when I was in college, I went on a, a missions trip to New Mexico. So we left St. Paul, Minnesota, and we drove down 35 all the way to Texas. We we swung a right, and then we ended up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had student bus drivers. 24 of us hopped on a school bus, took this trip, and we made it to Kansas City on the first tank of gas. And what does the bus driver do? He pulls into the gas station, takes off the nozzle out of the, off the uh, gas pump, and he starts to fill up the bus. He hops back in the bus after it's all filled, and he gets back on the road. And we start to go, and about a mile down the road, we start to to hear these funny noises. And the bus isn't running very well, and it, and it eventually sputters and stammers, and it breaks down on the side of the road. And then the bus driver's like, oh, man, I wonder what could be wrong. And then he just smacks himself upside of the head, and he says, oh, my goodness, I just put regular gasoline in a diesel bus. 
I just filled our gas tank with the right type, with the wrong type of fuel, and now we are stammering and sputtering on the side of the road, and we cannot go anywhere. Because you know what? A diesel bus is not designed to run on regular gasoline. And when it is running on the wrong type of fuel, what does it do? It stammers, and it sputters, and it breaks down. You see, when something doesn't run on the right type of fuel that it's designed to run on, it doesn't work properly. And when we don't live in love, we're not functioning rightly either because we as humans were meant and designed to run on the love of God, God's very self. He is the fuel that the human person was designed and created to run on. You see, there is no other genuine way to be human except to love. Can I say that again so it's embedded in your minds? There is no other way to live genuinely human lives other than to love. That is the only way to be genuinely human is to live a life of love, to allow God to live through you. Because that is how we as humans were created to live. And when we do not live on that type of fuel, on his love, then we are not living rightly. And we stammer and we sputter and we eventually die. But it's odd, you know, if if that is what it means to be genuinely human, and we all long to have this life, then why don't we? Why why don't we have the, the life? Why don't we live this way? Why isn't love the natural and first reaction to any and all situations we encounter? Well, there was a day in human history when that was the case. You know, there are a lot of blessings to being outside, but there are a lot of inconveniences as well. There was a day in human history when that was the case, but there came a day when our ancestors were convinced that there was a different way to receive life, a better way to be human. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but if you want to read about this, you can in Genesis 3. The Satan came around and convinced our ancestors that as much as God tried to assure them that they were in fact like him, that they were living off of his life and his love, the Satan tried to convince them that God was a liar. He was keeping secrets from them. And so if you really want to be like God, that Satan said, then eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the reason God told you not to eat from it is because he knows that if you do, you will truly be like him. Genesis 3, 7. You will be like God. You will be the king. You will have authority. And God doesn't want to share his authority. God wants to keep you in the dark. He doesn't want to give you any real semblance of control. And that is why he told you not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not because you will die, but because he wants to keep his power to himself. And so believing the lie, Adam and Eve ate of the tree that God had pleaded with them not to eat from. And the life they thought they would gain was never realized. But instead, their self-reigning, self-centered, selfish hearts began destroying their relationships with one another. It began destroying their relationships with God. It began destroying their relationship with themselves. And also their relationship with the rest of creation. They rejected God and his life of love for the me-centered life. We talk about this a lot, right? We have this me-centered life, this me-oriented life. And all the love God poured into humanity was manipulated and contorted into something ugly and backwards. And so I want you to notice that the love that God had poured into us has not vanished. It didn't go away when Adam and Eve ate of the tree. It was merely twisted. 
The love that God poured into humanity that makes us human was twisted and contorted. We still have the full capacity to love, in other words, but we, because we have this twisted humanity and this contorted humanity, have this default now that the love of self is our first priority. That first and foremost, at the expense of all others, we will love ourselves. It is our default. It is the default that we have chosen our own benefit at the expense of others. It is the life that we wanted to be kings, to rule. And it is the problem that we found ourselves in. And so notice that in any and all situations you find yourself in, your human sinful nature tells you to prioritize your own good at the betterment of other people. Your, your default and your human nature tells you to prioritize and to seek your own wants and your own good and your own betterment at the expense of other people. Your default is to improve your own life and to make your own life better before you help another person. That is just the way that the sinful nature has manipulated and twisted the love of God within us. We still love, but we love ourselves first. Now some of you are thinking, Ross, that's, that's way too extreme. Humanity really isn't that bad. And I think I would say, if you came and approached me and said, you know, I'm really not that bad of a person. My default really isn't always to fulfill my own wants and my own desires at the sake of all of the people. I'm really not that bad of a person, and I would, I would probably say that you're right. Because it's funny, when the riots began in Baltimore this past week, how many of you guys read about or heard about the riots in Baltimore this past week? Social media was outraged by how horrible of a situation this was. And social media was constantly asking why anyone would ever react this way and feel that this was the only response to a situation that they had no control over why don't these people who are who are burning the hairstylist down that their that their neighbor owned why don't they have any self-control why don't they think of a, a different way to react to the situation of injustice that they perceived but the world that is only interested in self-reign and a me-centered Life, taking justice into our own hands and looting and robbing and rioting when something hurts is the natural response. If you hurt me, then my natural response as a self-reigning, self-centered person is to what? Hurt you back. If I see an injustice, then my first response as a self-reigning, self-centered person is to do away with the injustice by creating more havoc. I am hurting, and so I'm going to hurt you in response. And the fact that the world cares, and this is what I find so odd, is that the world cares. That we look at the riots in Baltimore, we're like, man, that's not right. We look at people hurting others, and we're like, that's not right. We look at bullies picking on kids in school, and we're like, that's not right. For some reason, we care. And the fact that the world cares and thinks it's an outrage speaks to another truth that the world and its God try to keep us in the dark about. We care when we see a life lived wrongly. Do you guys recognize that in yourself, that you care when you see a life lived wrongly, whether it be your own life or somebody else's life? You care when you see a life lived wrongly. We care when other people hurt. We cry when other people are sad and are broken and are lonely. And for some reason, when we see injustice and brokenness and death, we care. And the reason this is the case is because the image of God, his love, allowing us to live 
rightly and genuinely has merely been twisted. It hasn't been completely destroyed. It hasn't been vanished. It's just been twisted. We are still made in the image of God. He still lives through us and screams through us and empowers us to care and to hate the twisted, destructive, anti-nature that we've all adopted. God's life and his love create tension and a war within us, even though our default is to choose ourselves for the sake of others. We battle against it, we fight against it, we hate against it. And this tension, I believe, is a gift from God. It's a gift from God that we need to praise him for and recognize him for regularly. It's a gift from God. It is God calling us and pleading with us to return to his life. Because the love of self as our priority is opposite to the love of God in which we are created. God's love, which in the Greek is, anybody? Agape. And the love that the author of Hebrews is calling his readers to encourage one another and to spur one another on, it is a self-sacrificial love. It is a other-oriented love. It's not a self-serving me-oriented love. It is giving. It does not take. It dies so that another might live. It prevails while watching another die. John wrote this about God's love. He said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see the very nature of the love of God? It is self-sacrificial. Jesus said that greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for his friends. That if you are in need, that I would give of myself for your betterment. That is the love of God. Paul said that God demonstrates his love for us by dying on behalf of his enemies. That if my enemies are in need, then I would give of myself for their betterment. That is the love of God. It is God's love that puts the sinful nature to death, and he has given us this love as a gift offered to us to reclaim genuine humanity. If you want to be genuinely human, then embrace the love of God and allow it to live through you. God's love working through us is the point of our existence. That is why as humans, we long to be loved and we long to be accepted, and that is when we function rightly, when we are loving others and we are being loved in relationship, not only with one another, but with the God who loves us so dearly. Paul wrote the Ephesians that we should imitate God by walking in the way of love, just as Christ Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Now that's an impossible task I'm asking of you guys to do, to love constantly and to love always, to be genuinely human in all circumstances, to treat others better than yourselves, to think of their needs prior to your own. That is an impossible task that I'm asking you to do. And so please don't feel like I'm trying to shove you into a box. I'm forcing you to love because that's just what good Christians do. Really, I'm, I'm rather pleading with you and encouraging you all to be genuinely human. To allow God's love to live through you as best as you are capable. To allow his love to live through you and to be poured out upon the world around you. Because there is no other way to be genuinely human but to love. And every other way of trying to be human is just a mimicry. And it's a facade and it's fake. It is not genuine life. And so I'm not just trying to convince you to start doing good deeds. To, to look the part like I did. And to call that love. I'm, I'm asking you to love and to allow it to take the form of good deeds. And there's a world of difference between the two. 
that your love might look like good deeds, but I'm not just saying, hey, go be good people. Allow God's love to manifest itself in you so that your life might be full of good deeds. You see, one is really about my own effort and ability. I can be a good person. I can pull up my bootstraps. I can do what God has asked me to do. I can be the good person. If that's all we're called to do, then let's just go do good deeds. We call that religion, by the way. And it's not what we're about. The other is about God's effort and ability working through us. Do you guys see the difference? The good deeds part is just me. Hey, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps. I'm going to work really hard. It's all about me. Me, me, me. But if I submit to God's authority to live through me, then it is fundamentally about who God is and what he does. And so telling you to love and expecting you to do it becomes depressing because we think, man, I got to do this all the time and I just can't. And so I'm really bad at it and I just get down on myself because I can't love all the time. I'm not good at it. And you're right, you're not good at it. None of us are good at loving others. And the reason we're not good at it is because we forget that love is from God. It only and always originates in who God is. Love is from God. There is no other source. And so true, genuine, self-sacrificial, other-oriented love always and only ever finds its source in God. It does not find itself in me. It does not find its source in me. I cannot just generate it out of my good works and out of my own abilities and my own talents and my own ambition. I cannot just generate the love of God. It has to come from God if it is to be true and genuine. If he's going to create in me the most genuine humanity possible, it has to come from God. And so we try and love out of our own human efforts, but forget that the ability and the capacity to love is a gift from God given to us in increasing abundance as we are capable of handling it. Did anybody go and see the uh, new Avengers movie this weekend? A couple of y'all? So there's a scene in the Avengers movie when uh, they're, they're sitting around this table and they're at this party and, and Thor's hammer is sitting on the, uh, on the coffee table. And they're all like, man, it's, you're just, it's, just a, it's, it's fake, man. I don't, I don't know how you do it, but anybody can pick up that hammer. And Iron Man is like, dude, I can pick this hammer up. And so he goes over to the coffee table and he tries to pick up the hammer and he can't do it. Because only who can pick up Thor's hammer? Thor. And Iron Man's like, oh, I've got to get this thing. And so what does he do? He, he gets his, his Iron Man glove on, and he tries to do it that way. And then War Machine comes along with him, and he, they're, they're both trying to lift it up together, and neither of them can lift up the hammer. And then Captain America with his bulging muscles comes along and says, right, yeah, get out of my way, I can lift up this hammer. He tries to lift up the hammer. Oh, I can't do it. And they all take turns trying to lift up Thor's hammer, but they cannot lift up Thor's hammer. They're all super strong, man. They're superheroes. They're all super strong. They have this incredible strength. They have these abilities and talents, and they have all the ambition in the world to pick up his hammer, but they cannot pick up his hammer. You see, lifting the hammer is an ability given only to Thor. Nobody else can do it. And though Thor is no more physically strong than Iron Man or Captain America... He can lift up his hammer without any effort. And it's kind of the same way when we try to love. We try to do something only someone else can do. It becomes ritual and religion directing the strength and glory upon ourselves, not back to God. And when we do this, when we try to love out of our own strength and our own abilities and our own 
talents and ambitions, then it just becomes religion and ritual. And we are not living genuinely as humans. But when we love in a genuine fashion, it is only and always God loving through us. That's the only way that we can be genuinely human is if we submit to God's love through us, not our own strengths, not our own abilities, trying to accomplish something that only God can do. And the way that we gain this ability is by acknowledging that we have rejected and rebelled against God. We have rejected and we have rebelled against God. We have rejected his love and his life. And we understand that we are sinners and there is nothing that we can do to reclaim it. Right? We don't have the power. We cannot pick up the hammer. We do not have the power to reclaim it. But God. Remember I talked about this phrase, but God, a few weeks ago. Can we all say that together? But God. Let's say that again. But God. I love that phrase. Because there's nothing that we can do but God. But God, on our behalf, because he is love, because he is gracious, because he is mercy and forgiving, but God has made a way through his son Jesus Christ, and he has offered us this beautiful, incredible exchange. The exchange would be that he would take our guilt and our death, our hatred and our selfishness and our self-reigning mentalities, and he would take them upon himself, and in return, in exchange, he would offer us freedom. And he would offer us his life and his love. And when we trust that that exchange has actually taken place, a beautiful process begins within us. We continually die to the old way of life, of self-reign and selfishness and me-centered reality. And with increasing ability and with increasing capacity, we allow the love of God to flow through us. It's not something that all of a sudden I'm good at. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I profess him as as my Savior and as my Lord now, and all of a sudden I'm perfect? Awesome. Man, I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. It's a daily submission to say, God, work more in me today. I'm going to lay more of myself aside. I'm going to lay more of my own self-prioritizing, me-centered, self-reigning heart aside so, God, that you would do your work in me in increasing measure today. 1 John 4, 7 says that true, genuine love that reclaims true, genuine humanity is only from God. And John goes on to say that no one has ever seen God, but if you love, God lives in you. And in this way, God is made known to the world. So how are we as a church going to accomplish our mission, as I talked about earlier, of knowing God and making him known? It's about submitting more to him every single day. It's about dying more to ourselves every day so that his life will live through us. And not just as we speak talk about it in Bible studies and, and on Sunday mornings, but as we actually live it out through the good deeds and the way we live our life. But the reason that this love must be spurred is because love is not the first and primary reaction to any and all circumstances. You see, even though my self-reigning heart has been put to death, for some reason, I still appeal, it appeals to me. I like it when things are my way. I like it having, when I hoard things. I like being greedy. I, I like the life of me as the king. It's our default, remember? But remember also that life of love is a journey and a process, and each day we're in a battle. And so as John the Baptist said, God 
may you increase in me as I decrease. And God, may your spirit work through me, manifesting itself in love. And because it is a battle, we must fight together. And so, Restoration Church, encourage me. Spur me on towards love. And allow me to spur you on towards love as a community of people striving to be the most genuinely human we can be. Help me do that and let me do that in you. And I encourage you to do that in me. Spur me on towards love so that I can be the most genuine human possible. And let me spur you on towards love. It's really hard though, my friends. And this is why we need each other spurring us on to do this. Think of a couple scenarios with me. This past week, for instance, I was at the gym. And uh, I I just gotten dressed and to, to go down and I, I hop on the treadmill. I bring my phone along because that's where my music is. And I hop on the treadmill. I just start running. Get this text from my wife, Emily. And she says, I need something out of the car, like, immediately. I'm like, really? Really? I just, I, I seriously, I just hopped on the treadmill. Like, I have this hour to myself to work out. Like, this is my hour. Really? Can't you, can't you just get the kids in the car and get dressed and come on, get it yourself? And so, my friends, as one who I'm encouraging to spur me on, what should my reaction be? Spur me on, Restoration Church. What should I do? Get a tour, right? Get off the treadmill. Sacrifice your own situation. Care for your wife who needs this thing out of your car. <laughs> it was a Bible study. It was. She, yeah, okay. Or maybe, maybe your situation is that, uh, you know, you've been working really hard at work. You've been working really hard at work, and your boss recognizes, and he gives you a pay raise. And uh, for all, all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, you have $200 more a month than you did last month. Man, the, the selfish inclination, right? The human default is to be like, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy that TV I want. I'm going to go out to eat a couple more times this month. But as a people who are trying to be genuinely human, spur me on. What should I do? Give to the church. Thank you. Yes. Give to the church. Maybe be what? Giving of that money. I didn't need it. I was doing fine a month ago, and now all of a sudden I have $200 more. What can I do with this money? Man, let me look around at my community and see who has need, and let me go and meet that need. That is what it means to be most genuinely human. Spur me on, friends, because I want to take that money and go out to eat. I want to take that money, and I want to go do something for myself, but spur me on. Because I want to be the most genuinely human person possible. This, this last night, my, my son, um, he, or, man, how many of you have had sicknesses in your house? And you have kids and you're like, they wake up every three hours once the Advil wears off. And they start screaming again. And this night, uh, last, uh, last night, my, my son Luke had, had a low-grade fever. And, uh, and every couple hours, he would just start screaming out. And the human default, right, this, the me-centered, me, me, me life is like, pretend I'm asleep, pretend I'm asleep until Emily hears them, so she can get up, and she can go take care of it. But friends, spur me on, what should I do? Get up, take turns, thank you, we did take turns, actually. 
get up though but the human default is like man i don't want to get out of bed i'm tired i'm i'm resting here i'm comfortable i don't want to get out of bed and if we don't have each other spurring us on to do these things then the de- human default is going to win out and i'm going to lay there in bed and let emily take care of it go back to me a couple of years i'm in high school and there's this one kid who everybody thought was super weird and the reason everybody thought he was weird was because he sat alone at lunch. He didn't have anybody to sit with, and so he sat all by himself. And, goodness, the human default, the me-centered life, is saying, I don't want to be associated with that kid, and so I'm not going to go sit with him. I'm going to go sit with my friends. But spur me on. What should I do? Embrace him. Maybe he's not all that weird, and we, we just nobody's taking the time to get to know him. Care for those who are lonely. Care for those who are in need within their community at work. If you see someone who seems lonely and saddened, spur one another on. Go meet the needs of your community and the people within your workplace. You know, there are a number of people in our church who are in real need right now. There there are a number of people in our church who are in real need. One in particular, she needs rides uh, to the doctor. And she she can't seem to get there on her own um, because of a number of situations, but she needs rides to her to her appointments, and and I keep thinking, yeah, man, this is a huge sacrifice, and man, it's so inconvenient. But what would a community spurring one another on towards love do for this woman? Would we try to help her get to her doctor appointments? If you want help with that, by the way, come and see me afterward. I'll get you in contact. There are a lot of people who struggle financially. There are a lot of people who struggle to, to make ends meet every month. There are a lot of people who, who need uh, work done on their homes to make them livable or sellable. What would a community of people spurring one another on towards love and good deeds do for these families? Would we give generously, maybe even to our fellowship fund, so that we as a church body can help them? Would we sacrifice the time out of our weekend so that we can go to their homes and help them fix them up? And that is the church body I want to be, guys. That is the church family I want to be, that we look at the needs of each other and we spur one another on towards love and good deeds and we encircle one another and we gather together so that we are motivated to to meet the needs of the others. And the world is going to look on and they're going to be blown away. And they're going to say, I've never seen anything like that before. A church body actually caring for each other and and meeting the needs of the people around them, that's crazy. Churches don't do that. Man, I hope that it's differently here. I hope that it's different here. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. You need me to help you. We need each other to help one another, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to be the most genuinely human community that we possibly can. We need to submit more and more to God every single day so that his love might flow through us in increasing ways and so that the world might see that we are a community of love, that we serve a God who is love. Amen? Amen.